0: This episode is brought to you by Mic Up Podcast Productions. Are you an entrepreneur or business owner or somebody that's wanted to start a podcast for a while, but you don't know where to start? You're busy. Your team's busy. It seems overwhelming. Well, we got you covered. Or perhaps you may have a podcast. You've started it. You underestimated the amount of work. And look, you don't want to deal with all the BS. We got you covered as well so we either help you launch a show or take over your current show and help you really get your message to more people help you amplify your brand help you amplify your message most importantly help you cultivate and build amazing relationships so we do all that through podcasting we do complete end-to-end podcast production service audio, video, all of it, so that you have a highly produced episode and you don't have to worry about it. Let people that know what they're doing take care of things that you don't want to deal with. And let me, like I know, your team's busy. People people have a lot to do. And the last thing you need is another project. So if you're interested, you want to start a podcast, we have a few spots that are opening up. Hit me up, DM on Instagram, Follow me on lance.esios, reply with my DM's podcast. And then we can set up a time with my team and we can have a chat, qualify you and find out your goals and see if we're a good fit. Simple as that. All right. Mike Up Podcast Productions. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. Today's guest is a man on a mission. He's the founder of Evolve Men Coaching, and he's a high performance men's coach, helping ambitious men reclaim their personal power and find the quickest path to further success. As an entrepreneur, he's endured the pain of burnout, addiction, and divorce as the gut-wrenching consequences of all the neglect in his own mental health, self-awareness, and humility. He's one of America's top men's performance strategists and has spent the last decade working with high-achieving leaders ranging from Fortune 500 brands, entrepreneurs, and celebrity influencers. He's spoken for global brands like Walmart, Coca-Cola, BMW, and Disney, and is the host of the upcoming podcast, Evolve Men podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome my friend, Angus Nelson. This is such a great conversation. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to it. We unpack what it means to be a man, where we're going wrong as men and how we can get better. Enjoy the show everybody.
1: Greetings and salutations. (laughs) There he is. How are you brother? I'm doing good. Hold on a second. My video here just cropped out here. How are you my Canadian friends now living in Mexico?
0: Oh, really good, man. Really good. How about
1: yourself? I'm doing good. We're rolling, we by go. the way. We got some video now. Yeah, there we go. Good to see you. Yes. I've been looking forward to catching
0: up and chatting with you, man, because I know, you know, what the work you're doing, your story, all of that is going to impact some, some people that need to hear it. So I'm excited
1: to chat. Yeah, me too. And yes, it will. <laughs> I um, wholeheartedly believe it.
0: Yeah, brother. That's a great setup you have, too, there for all of you watching on YouTube. He's got it set up right. <laughs> I got my I started doing the stand up where I I don't cuz I'm kind of traveling right so it's, it's just so much easier. I want to have a studio again but when you're traveling this is uh, this is the best way.
1: I'll be right there with you soon. We're going to Portugal.
0: Oh, amazing. Uh,
1: in June and so I'm going to have to change all of my setups so while all this is going to go away and I have to figure it out.
0: Then you got to roll with it.
1: And I'm not taking all this with me. So, (laughs) you know, I'm actually disappointed. The biggest piece are my books. Like my books are like something I really cherish. My wife doesn't get it. She reads a book and she's done off it goes. And I'm like, no, I've got notes. I've got scribbles. And how many times have you gone through those books? Well, not that often, but maybe. And because I'll come up with something, I have to go back to it. I've got it, you know, dog eared highlighted, underscored, asterisk, whatever, and I get my little nuggets.
0: Man, books are so key. And I've had to do that twice. I've had to, because I've sold everything twice now, and I've had to get rid of my books. But the, the ones that I wanted to hold on to, I had to give to a friend because I just don't want to part with them. But you're right. Mm-hmm. It's just, what 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 book has really stood out to you? As of recently, that you look at as being impactful in your life.
1: Okay, so that's that's kind of an open question because it's on so many different levels. So, mm. multifaceted, multi-hyphenated dude. So, one book right now is by I'm reading right now called "The Business Book of Coaching" by Ajit Nawalakola. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he's the guy that's behind Mind Valley, and then he opened up a coaching program. I can't remember what they call it, but As a coach myself, he's really got me thinking through a lot of the stuff that I do so I can be more valuable to my clients. So that's on a business part, right? A secondary and a marketing expert secrets by Russell Brunson is a must for any entrepreneur just from the context of understanding your audience and how to speak to them from their needs, their fears, their wants, their desires. I think that's an incredible book. And then on the depth side, as a man, one of the uh, most significant books for me was uh, Wild at Heart by a guy named John Eldritch. And uh, it's a faith based book, but he comes from the perspective of film and movie and folklore and how every man has a battle to win a princess to rescue, and an adventure. Mm. And that becomes our context for our desire for risk, our desire for a compelling personal story. That was one of the books that kind of kicked me off into this whole personal development world. Behind me, I could probably look at some books and just mm. tell you just by looking at them, You Are Badass at Making Money by Jen Chinchero. Yeah. Uh, Rock my world in context of realizing I have a money story that coming up raised my perception of money and how I saw wealth was really a bad story. And Mm I disconnected me from the ability to create it. And so we don't realize that money is an energy. It's agnostic. It's not like some people have, and some people don't. Anyone can get it. And you just have to understand how it functions, how it works, and the ability to understand that your gifts, talents, and skills are meant to bring value to the world. And the more that you position that value, the more wealth you can create. Yeah. There's more, but that's, that's the beginning. It's powerful
0: because it's a good place to even start. Because I think a lot of people have that right, and I think that is something that I've had to battle through as well over the last few years. Is that story, and mm-hmm. you know, it really depends on how you're raised too. You know, the conditioning and you know, the person that has money has to be like this, or so they must have like they have something special or. You know, there's always some sort of like some sort of story that's tied to it. and It makes you feel like you can't have it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how often do you see that in men these days? Like, is that is that one of the main things that stops men from moving forward? Is that story?
1: So I come down to three things. The money story is a uh, symptom of other beliefs. I know you just talked with Shelly Lufko or whatever, actually, on one of your episodes, where she talked about the power of beliefs. And I uh, actually listened to most of it. But the context of story and belief are the two things that I wrap around in all the things that I work with men. And it's, do do, do I deserve? Am I worthy? And do I have what it takes? Those are the primary elements of anyone that I work with. And the men that I work with, we're talking about people who run a hundred million dollar health tech company or a multi million dollar marketing information platform. You know, like I work with some super cool, successful dudes, corporate, Fortune 500, et cetera. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what school they went to or what money they had growing up. It doesn't matter what they've created because that is only an expression of other things. And what you will find oftentimes that people who build really big and amazing shit do it from a place of lack and deficit. Mm. And they're compensating from a belief that they don't have something. And so they do this thing believing that it will give them whatever that desired outcome is. Only to find when they get it, now what? I was talking with an author and he got on the bestseller, Wall Street, you know, not Wall Street, whatever the Washington Post. (laughs) It's not the New York Times, whatever that other one is, But you know, bestseller list. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And, And he found himself in a place of, now what? Like, I made my million dollars. I got my claim to fame. I am invited to speak on these stages. I thought I was supposed to feel different at this stage. And this is a really big piece is we have an expected outcome in our minds of what things are supposed to become or to do. Another question might be like, I thought I'd be further than I am right now at this stage in my life. That's a big one. Right? Yeah. Like these are things that we capitulate these shit stories in our heads. And we put so much added pressure and noise into our psyche. These are the things that start shutting us down. So if I'm not worthy or deserving or or have what it takes, then we define that under other things. We can call it imposter syndrome. I don't belong. We can say we have a fear of failure, which is bullshit. Actually have a fear of success. Because you don't believe you can become the man you believe you need to be in order to do what you see in your heart to achieve. Mm. You're not afraid of failure. You're afraid that you can't be that guy that your intuition is calling you up to, that your visions and your dreams are calling you to and towards. And we become chicken shit because we've got these shit stories in our heads. So then you add on to that a money story. Well, now the money story becomes around Where do I cap off? Where's my ceiling? Because that's the part that you'll wrestle with is no matter how much opportunity or success is available to you, if in your mind that's not for you or that's not uh, a part of you, you will find a way to sabotage that opportunity, that income stream, that business. Yeah. It's
0: so powerful. And it's so interesting when you think about these men that have been able to create so much success, yet they still feel unfulfilled. And it's like, you know, what is that? It's such a deep, it's a deeper thing, right? Mm -hmm. Can we like, what, what is it usually? Is it, is it because there's trauma or there's like something like, what do you see as like the under like that thing that they feel that they're, they need to keep achieving because well, in our society too, we're programmed, you need this to be this. And if you don't have this, then you're not, you know, you're not it. Right. Mm-hmm. And do you think that that has to do with just around what we see success as a man is at a your early age? Or like, how does that even happen? Like, where does that, how does that develop? Like, where do you see that developing?
1: Super, super complex question because it looks different for everyone. There's not like a a blank, you know, wide stroke of how that's all defined. You know, I've broken it down into some components, but how it comes about, you know, nature and nurture. Is it something that comes from our DNA? Is it something that, you know, that our parents had in them in context of an intention, a belief or a way of life, skills, talents, goals, blah, blah, blah. Or is it nurture, the way that they're raised and things are modeled and the way that they're crafted? Science tells us that by the age of six, your personality is pretty much already defined. So anything you've experienced up until that age you know, is already in, in full check. So whatever the storyline is, you will then appropriate your personality in which to, to navigate the world. And then everything after that is just a, a filter through that lens. So that's like can get really super complex. So I believe if we want to back up in the story a lot more than just the individual, I would take a look at us from a cultural standpoint over the last two centuries. we Now, the first thing I can say, and the caveat with this is, you know, we're in the United States. In my perspective, you're in Canada, not currently, but... <laughs> You're still North America and Mexico, but we have this westernized context, admittedly. So I'm just kind of perching that there. But our forefathers transitioned from farm and trade to an industrial revolution. Okay, so that was a big switch of how communities and people interacted. Because when you're farming, you had... You know your vegetables or your cattle or your pigs or your fur or whatever and you traded it and interacted in these systems that people created and then we came about with these ways to significantly speed how things were moved through logistics and trains and boats and whatever and then we came with the industrial revolution so now we could create things on scale And people were brought into these more manufacturing type of roles where they left their homes, went to a place, interacted with people on a different level and kept your head down and worked really hard and then got a paycheck for that instead of, you know, the more familial where they were interacting with their families more often. Now we have this more work related that was turned into all this labor then got trimmed down. It's like, you know what? That's too much. You can't be working these 12, 14, 16 hour days. We came up with like a nine to five ish, you know, type of thing. And so now we've, we've kind of compressed and compartmentalized the way we socialize. And then we had multitude of a pandemic. We had the crash of the stock market and then we had wars. And all these things emotionally and societally kind of fractured. And people went off to war who were males, who many of them did not come home. And now you have fatherless homes with children who are being raised by mothers who are doing the best they can in a context at that time where they didn't have the same freedoms, liberties, and opportunities of Wealth creation because they were seen as women, quote unquote, and I'm saying that because that's the way that it is. It's not the way it's now. I don't have this opinion against women, just so that we have yeah, that clear for sure. As things came about, then we had another war, and then another war. So you know, we've gone through World War One, we a Korean War, the World War II and Vietnam, and society has been splintered amongst that, plus the societal context of working really hard, which took us to a place of keep your head down. And because there was a trauma PTSD that was never identified back then, that men became more internalized as a whole of the men who were there. It was work hard, head down, don't feel. Mm -hmm. And so we watched the 50s and we see, you know, leave it to, to Beaver and all those kinds of things. Those were created in those family type of things because they were trying to create a framework. For how families should interact that was not necessarily accurate to what was then transpiring because when we got into the 60s it all just kind of you know and continued on so if you just follow the lines of the continuum our dads and their dads continually lost the tools of connection presence emotions and they did not pass on to us the ability to process those emotions so as the world now has shifted and changed and evolved a lot of uh, male ways of approaching the world have shifted out from under us without the tools and resources to be able to appropriate it the way that we should now the people who rise in power do it from a place of toxic deficit and lack and then we aspire to say oh those are the real men when they are actually the opposite of what a real man is
0: like the wounded it's like the wounded little boy it's like the the wounded masculine i want to i kind of want to ask you about that too is around you know manhood and defining cuz some some guys or people don't want to they hear the word feminine and they get all, oh, I'm not feminine, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. We all have both. Can you explain Mm -hmm. manhood and defining the masculine side and the feminine side for people?
1: Well, first of all, I would say masculine and feminine is not associated with a gender. Just so for all of you that are listening, uh, I want to define that because we oftentimes think, oh, you're saying masculine, you're talking about men. And when we talk about these kinds of energies and these kinds of behaviors, we're actually talking about, I'll I'll put it this way. It's kind of like, you know, you grew up in Canada. If you're snowboarded uh, or skied, you're on your toes or on your heels. Mm -hmm. And if you're going down a steep hill, you have to stay over your toes. And I would say that that is more of a masculine energy. It's when you're leaning forward and you're pushing in, There's an energy about you that is seeking to either control or to move, to take action in that context. Whereas I see a feminine energy is more of that pullback, nurture, hold, and feel kind of context. So it's just kind of a quick definition. So when we like try and define manhood, is manhood this masculinity exclusively and so we look at like the old you know John Wayne type of thing like I'm here to you know all about the business and I'm gonna shoot you and that's you know, like whatever that was a really terrible impression but we get it <laughs> that level has now you know poured into this more toxic masculinity where it's all about dominance and that's the key dominance is not an act of masculinity. Dominance is actually an act of weakness because it seeks to control in the same way. Like if you were remembering back in school, when you balance on your your four-legged chair and you're leaning back on the chair and you're like balancing on those back two legs, you're like, look at me, guys. Oh my God, it's so cool. And then all of a sudden, the moment you lose balance, you flail and you try to grab anything you can to seek control that's where a lot of men are they're trying to control their work control their families control their marriages and that is not manhood that is operating out of weakness out of fear deficit lack manhood leaning into the masculine manhood looks like i'm using my physical power my ability to work hard or my ability to to serve as a shelter. And I will support those around me, whether that's in leadership in my teams, whether that's in my my partner and my relationship, whether that's with my kids. And my whole role is to nurture, support, and strengthen those around me. And so now it comes from a place of leadership and guidance, mentoring, like that's the manhood that I believe is missing in many actual men today. Whereas if you look at, you know, what does womanhood look like? It's not to say that they can't take on those same masculine abilities, because I mean, some of the greatest CEOs we have today are women. Yeah. And the women who lead those kinds of companies, if you look at their their books, you know, as far as their, their finances. A lot of the major companies that are led by a female have actually stronger, you know, capital, investment, profits, etc. And there's an element of that of watching the whole story of, you know, nurturing and seeing 14 things all at the same time. Like those are skill sets that a lot of women have had to acquire talents that they, because of all the things I shared with you before, they've had to navigate so much that I believe as as kind of a societal thing, a lot of women have been able to capitalize and create that into an ability to multitask that men perhaps have not become as skilled at. That's not to say, again, that one can't take on the other, but it's just to give you a generalization of kind of like the differences. But here's the magic. The magic is when we understand those both similarities and and differences are so complementary and intertwined that they create synergy. And when we look at marriages and we look at unions of people coming together, a lot of people say that, you know, it's a 50 50 deal, and it's not. It's a 100% 100% deal. One side brings 100% of themselves, and the other side brings 100% of themselves, because that's the only way those unions can now intertwine where one strength can make up for another's, you know, weaknesses. And the two of them, combined in a union and a joint venture like we can kick some serious ass
0: yeah there's a lot lot of i think we're sold that dream that that other person is going to complete us like we're not whole unless we have that thank you disney for for making everybody feel like that you complete me (laughs) yeah i mean you have to be whole within yourself yeah right like you have to be whole like nobody is going to give you nobody's going to fill that void for you. It's just like if you, in the success as well, like that car, that house. Yeah. It may be great for a while, but it's not going to give you what you're seeking. So you have to find that within yourself. And that's why it's so important the work that you do. And I, um, I'm curious as to, I want to go into your story a little bit and how you develop such awareness around this topic, because usually we got to get our ass kicked first see what we don't want before what we do want. University
1: of adversity. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Tell Uh, us how you got into this work, a little bit about your story and like how you develop that awareness for this stuff.
1: Sure. So I want to start with this is I don't believe that men or women have to go through the shit and the fire to learn some of these lessons. It just so happens that the majority of us end up so. Because we don't have that uh, awareness previous. And there's something about learning lessons through other people's stories that's super powerful. And I did not have that. A lot of us don't have that. I was raised in, you know, above middle-class family. And then my parents became Christians and where they once were the owners of the big house on the hill with the big boat and, and, you know, members at the country club and whatnot. They started to put all that aside and started like giving all their money away and, and not to be crass against generosity and whatever else, but a lot of kind of those faith circles kind of twisted my money story. And that's not that kind of weird. but we'll flash forward. So because of this transition in our lives and faith becoming a part of it, I went from not really knowing what my future was. I mean, the most leadership they gave me was grab a backpack and go. They said the best education is to go see the world. And so I had that kind of in the back of my mind, but because they had become these believers, I started going to youth group and I really liked my youth pastor. I thought, you know, this would be kind of cool. Like maybe I could do that. And so I ended up going to Bible college and got my degree in youth ministry. Immediately after that, went overseas to the Soviet Union. When it was the Soviet Union, I spent two months there traveling from Moscow all the way to Novosibirsk wow. and all, yeah. And this was, you know, we we're still in the cold war. So we had to deal with, you know, KGB following us and we were smuggling Bibles and all this like cool, you know, stuff. And we're um, seeing miraculous things happen. Every four or five days we went to a new city. And so we got to see so much. And I had all these perceptions of Russians growing up that they were ugly and fat and alcoholic. And they were quite the opposite. They were beautiful and generous and amazing. And that kind of changed my worldview as well. And it's a whole nother story. But I started my first business at the end of my 20s after I had traveled so much. Every summer I was overseas. And in between that, I would you know take on odd jobs and lived in different places throughout the country. And I did all of it, I believe, for the right reasons when we started. We, my brother and I started this nonprofit organization. It was fronted as a coffee shop. It was an arts-driven youth center. But we didn't want to be a faith-based thing. We wanted to be a place where any kid could come and talk about life, because we believed anyone will talk about life over a cup of coffee. And that's where we did some of our greatest like, you know, counseling and encouraging and and trying to be a light in our hometown where we grew up in central Wisconsin. And after we had, you know, gotten kind of the, the thing running, we decided to put on this music festival. And we invited a bunch of artists to come in. And so we committed all this money. And the day of the show, this three-day festival had a kickoff with a band called Train. And Train has become a really big thing. Thundershowers kicked in and a whole bunch of people didn't show up. I needed 4,000 people to attend this weekend event and only 1,400 showed up. We lost $72,000 that weekend for our little nonprofit. That was a ton of cash. Wow. And so my wife and I moved into my parents' basement. I'm going to pay everybody back because I just believed that that was what I was supposed to do. Before long, my wife despised me because now I'm not you know, contributing to the family. We're living in my parents' basement. There's all these t- this tension. I don't know how to ask for help. I turned inward and I did exactly what I said before. I... I put my head down, work hard, you know, and don't feel. And so I'm doing 60, 70, 80-hour work weeks, trying to like keep everything together. I didn't go to the board. I didn't go to the community. I, I wanted to prove to them that I could turn this thing around, put the whole thing on my shoulders. Before long, underneath that pain, I'm finding late nights staring at porn, trying to cope with the pain. And now the guilt and the shame, especially with my faith background, like I should not be doing this. I start drinking. And now before long, I'm addicted to both and I start sleeping around. So instead of going home where I feel rejected and I'm feeling like a failure, I am trying to seek solace somewhere else. And in short order, I blew up my marriage. I blew up the business and I blew up my self-worth and the amount of shame and pain that I put myself under. And I didn't know, you know, in this community, everybody knew who I was. I didn't know who knew what, I didn't want to have those conversations, and so I just became a recluse for the next couple of years. And that was December 23rd of 2003. My divorce was finalized. December 25th, two days later, I'm underneath my Christmas tree, sobbing and contemplating how I was going to take my life. And in that moment, I heard this voice that said, we're not done here yet. And that was kind of like a wake-up call. And I started getting counseling. I thought people who see counselors and therapists are crazy until I went. And then I'm like, you know what? Y'all crazy. We all crazy. Come on. We, We need help. And that helped me process some of the stuff. And the first book my counselor gave me was that book I shared with you earlier was, you know, the Wild at Heart and understanding how we function. And I had lost this vision and this drive and all the things that made me alive. I had always played small because I was living underneath other people's expectations. And I was trying to do the right thing and be the right thing. And I was living under obligation and, and like religion, legalism, et cetera. And I discovered this thing called grace and it transformed my life. Like I could love me and I could believe in me and God could love me and it's going to be okay. And 2005, there was a school by an author I'd been reading and I, I said, that's it. I'm out. I put my house in the market, moved on to Huntsville, Alabama I said, I'm going to spend a year down there. I have no idea why I'm going to be in Alabama except, but for this event. And I met a girl while I was down there going through this program and it was a very holistic program. So now I'm on this personal development. I meet this girl, have this incredible experience, flash forward, we're married, we have a couple of kids. I'd run another nonprofit, 09 kicked in. And so the economy had soured and, and our revenue was, was depleted. So we closed that down. I became a stay-at-home dad with our two little ones for three years. And I wrote a book about that season I went through. I started getting into social media. I started marketing that, started learning about that. My brother, I have an identical twin brother, who had become the head of social for Salesforce. And so he's kind of a really big deal. And he knows all the huge names in the social space. And we end up at a conference called South by Southwest in Austin, Texas for their digital time. They had a digital aspect of their event. However, I'm there for daddy blogging. My brother's there is for all the tech stuff. And so during the day I did all the daddy blogging. and at night, my brother's got the swank expense account. He's staying at the W downtown, bro. I'm staying with you. And then at night he would drag me to all the tech parties and we'd play pranks because nobody knew he was a twin. And oh, wow. he'd say, Hey, that's so-and-so from such and such, they're hugger shake, or shaker go. And I got introduced to everything from Gary Vaynerchuk and Chris Brogan and, um, Brian Solis and all the big wigs of of the social space. And one in particular was a guy named Jeremiah Aoyang. We had become friends. A year later, he wants to start a new company. He needs a people person. And he gave me a shot. And suddenly I'm leading a Fortune 500 innovation association with companies like BMW, Coca-Cola, Ford, Disney, Wells Fargo, Walmart, like major, major companies. We had 74 brands. I oversaw all the curriculum, webinars, et cetera, and ran the community. Suddenly I'm at a place of having to deal with imposter syndrome and all of these, you know, issues of not being enough, not, you know, having what it takes, et cetera. And so I'm having to work through all that while I'm on conversations with Men who have gone to the best schools are making incredible money at companies you'd give your left arm for. And they're following some of the same patterns that I went through. Mm -hmm. And I started, like, I would be on calls talking more about their personal stuff they were facing than we were about innovation and digital transformation. And that was when I realized I had a gift and coaching became my goal. And so it took me a number of years of like stop, start, try, fail. And then six years ago, my finally said, I'm just gonna keep at it. And then two years ago, I went full time. Amazing. And so that's me on my personal development, how I got in this and and how I do what I do. Okay,
0: I want to go back and break
1: this down a little bit
0: because there's obviously a point where things shifted, right? You had grace, but if somebody's listening and they may be in that same Position. Okay, you have grace, but what are some of the tangible things that you had to do or show up differently as to make that change? Because, like, that's pretty phenomenal. And not everybody Mm -hmm. can do that. A lot of people go down the other way. Mm -hmm. But what were the things like that you were doing on a
1: daily basis that helped you shift into? So, I have a, a theory that was part of my story, and somebody had said this to me way back when sometime in the early nineties. And I had never forgotten. And he said, what you hear about, you think about, you think about, you talk about what you talk about, you bring about. And so therefore the number one thing you need to watch are your inputs. Mm. What are you listening to? And so now I've kind of brought that into under how I coach is, you know, what are the books you're reading? What are the, the videos you're watching? what are the friends that you have and what are the stories you tell yourselves because of the experiences you've you've gone through because you're listening to those stories too. And so a lot of this is a highly intentional element of reversing the ways that you are taking in information because most of us expose ourselves to just bullshit. So true. Right. It's just entertainment. It's filler. It's TikTok. It's just random video, YouTube videos. It's Netflix binging. And you'll watch violence or sex or broken relationships. You'll watch, I mean, shoot, man, people who are dialed into the bachelorette and the bachelor and stuff like that. It's like, no wonder our relationships are jacked up. Yeah. So watch scandalous
0: that. crap that's on there. Yeah.
1: Like it's and just we, nonsense. So all of that's built to agitate us. And then we filter that into a context, build a story around it and say, well, see, this is how it is. And so now an app comes and says, hey, I can sexualize relationships with a swipe of left to right. And this is how relationships are going to be from now on. What kind of fuck am I going to get tonight? Swipe, swipe. And so we dehumanize so much stuff. If we continue to listen to that narrative, and say, this is the way it's supposed to be, and this is the way that everybody does it, and therefore I have to too. Bullshit. We attract what we are. Yeah. And so your obligation is to filter and take responsibility and be intentional about the, fil- the information you're allowing to come into your brain. And so when we look at the last two years and the amount of media that we've taken in, all of that's filtering too, like who's right, who's wrong, who's, who's good, who's bad. And then now we become accusational and we create these divisions amongst each other because we can't love people for what they are. We have to judge them by what they think or believe or voice off. Like this is where it starts is what are those inputs? And number two is you imitate those who you associate. Who are you hanging around? The caliber of people that are around you, I think it was Jim Rohn that said, you are the culmination of your five closest friends. And so if they're moving forward, if they have aspirations, if they're like calling each other, not just out, but calling each other up, well, then you're around some really solid dudes. But if you're not, shoot, man, you could be an eagle and hang out with chickens and before long, you believe you're a chicken but you are chicken, you hang out with eagles, it's not long and you believe that you're a fucking eagle. You imitate those you associate. The level and caliber of their conversations and their challenges and the things they go through will call you up to a higher level. And so those are some of the, the, the you know, elements is what are you taking in and who are you hanging around? Two primary elements. And I had to change those. I had to let go of relationships. I had to let go of friends. And as I shared my story, I actually uprooted myself from the city I was in, the, home, the, the place I grew up, my hometown, and went to freaking Alabama spent the next you know, eight years in Alabama, and it transformed my life. I will say this one more piece. Our level of identity determines our, our destiny. Our mutual friend, you know, Mike Zeller, you know, talks about this. And our brains walk, work in this certain way is like whatever you believe around you you're, or about you, your brain like loves equilibrium. It wants to validate that belief about you. And so what will happen is whatever you think about you, you will attract, as I said, you, know, you attract what you are. Your brain will seek to create that or attract it. It will go out and create or attract the relationships, the opportunities, the experiences that match your level of belief about you. So, see, this is, I, I validated myself. This is why I'm, I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing. So, if you're dating the same person over and over again, just with a different face, it's because you're attracting your favorite pain. But if you start to upgrade how you see you by the inputs, the people you associate, and you start to believe higher things about yourself, your brain will go, wait a second, we need to validate this. So if this is what you believe about you, then let's go seek and attract different calibers of relationships, opportunities, and experiences. And that's when your world shifts. And as long as you continue to upgrade your self-belief, you will continue to upgrade your level of income, relationships, experiences you'll upgrade the way you see you you upgrade everything else in your world
0: powerful steps man so true and just when you're saying that i was just thinking about you know the importance of really being mindful around what you allow into your into your mind you know it's not just about what you eat it's what you consume and there's just so much there and i think so many people are so caught up with the external world and what they watch, they, they really don't even tune into who they actually are or what is actually true to them. Mm. You know, like people, this is something that I have started to do a lot. And I have to ask myself is what's true to me. Is this my truth or somebody else's story or somebody else's projection? Yeah. And it's easy to get caught up in the noise because of our phones. Everything is on our phones. Yeah. Like literally everything. (laughs) My phone's
1: over here, buzzing over here. It's making some noise on my computer. I hope that's not coming through our our audio. It's it's fine. It's chirping saying, I want attention. I want attention. See,
0: that's the thing. And we have become addicts to that dopamine and that everything that we need is in this phone and that we don't listen to ourselves enough. We don't reflect and contemplate. We don't take the time to think, to sit with things, you know, to go, okay, I finished this conversation. Now let me just sit and contemplate and think about that. Instead. It's like, here, I got to go there. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it's, it's, everything is about the external, And I can just, you know, for myself is that if I'm in reactive mode all the time, I just feel it's not even me. I just feel like I'm just, I'm jumping around doing all these things and it's not even true to me. It's like, it's, it's, it's everybody else's idea of life. And I found that when you can go in and you can journal and you can really just sit with these things and take some time, you start to realize what is true to you versus someone else. And I really see that a lot. And it's that awareness is so key to being able to even know that there's an issue. Like some people you say, Hey, why are you watching that? They're like, wow, it's just a TV show. Who cares? And you're Mm -hmm. like, no, but do you, do you like before bed, do you understand what is happening? Like you were taking in this information, it's marinating Mm -hmm. in your brain. And that's what your brain is working with while you sleep. Like you're watching corruption and murder and all this shit that makes you feel bad. Well, what do you think your brain is marinating on
1: that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then you have weird or whack dreams and like the stuff just chips away. And we we say, oh, it's just entertainment. It's just whatever. It's like, Yes. And yeah, like before you read books and you created imagination around a story or you sat around a fire and the elders shared stories of folklore of our people and our stories of, you know, victories or failures. And we're like, oh, wow. And that was this legacy that we were, you know, originally tied into. But now we've gone from, you know, art imitating life to now life is imitating art. And the things that we are continually putting out into this entertainment space are the things that people are processing and then believing like, oh, well, that must be true. Or they go to a place of just vegging because the entertainment of that and their expression that they are projecting into that interaction on the screen feels more alive than their actual life and their attachment to the characters and the narratives of those housewives in new jersey or those housewives in atlanta or the whatever they're like oh that's amazing and then you read people magazine and all this like you know stuff about how you have to do this and how to sex him up, and please him up and suck on him right, and then you're like, you are constantly told you're not enough, Yeah on a subtle level. Yeah. And that's the part most people don't connect to, is that so much of what's out there is telling you you're not enough. You, you are. You're absolutely enough.
0: Yeah. And to your point around telling stories around the fire, that has been something that we've done for so long. And I think that's why people are so they gravitate towards story because mm-hmm. it's like an emotional, you know, it's, it's, it's what we, we have generations where people are telling stories and we're listening. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think podcasting and, you know, people that are having real conversations really hit home for people. Cause it's kind of like, Oh, I remember this, like you kind of like intuitively, you kind of feel at home when you hear a story. Right. Yeah. And it's not like a bullshit made up thing. It's like, it's a connection that we, that a lot of us lose because we don't have the fire. We don't have the elders. You know, we don't have this stuff anymore. And that's why I think like, you know, having these men's groups and stuff like that, it kind of gives that gives people that opportunity for community and mentorship. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important because, you know, to evolve as men, we need other men,
1: right? Yes. Truth. You know, there's something about a man that has a woman speaking to your life and a woman can say so much and every wife, you know, exactly what I'm saying. Like you can only say so much, but a man when he hears from another man somebody speaking into their life, whether it's calling them out on their bullshit or challenging them to something that they may be afraid of or they're struggling with, like there's something about that that transforms in a male, it's something that's different and more powerful that they will respond to. You know, we are created in community. And our culture was, like I said, always in those spaces of, you know, family and lineage and legacy, and that's all been splintered. And now my parents live, you know, halfway across the country. My brother lives up in, you know, nine hour drive. My other brother lives over a 12 hour drive. Like, like we're all splintered. Well, then you break up the nucleus and now, well, who is my immediate quote unquote family? Like, who are the people in my hometown? Who are the dudes I hang out with? I have a coffee. with. Well, most guys, your friends are either people at work, and you'll talk about work things, and or uh, a bowling league, a softball league, fantasy football, or any other just sporting events. But we don't really talk about deep shit. We don't talk about vulnerability. We don't talk about our fears, and you know, our fears are these invitations into a higher self. And we've translated fears as into weakness, as into you know all these other things. Like when we're afraid, we we collapse and we we shrink back. But there was a time where you know you had fight or flight, and now it's like fear is a different. Elements because the fight or flight was built around whether you lived or died. And now, in this evolution of where the world is at today, fear takes us to that place of frozen, of stagnant, of stuck, because that fear is being driven by some story we've told ourselves. So, you bring around these other men, and they've either gone through that, they know somebody who's gone through this, they've tried it themselves, and they can say, Hey, it's okay on the other side. Hey, there's this other thing over here. Hey, look at all the stuff you're gonna learn if you go through this. Hey, on the other side, it's gonna be so much sweeter. And you like rise up and your your back kind of straightens up, your chin goes up, and you're like, damn straight, let's do this. And I love to say, like, I tell my guys there's this fuck it moment. Like I challenge, like if you work with me, it's gonna cost you some coin, right? Bring your bags because I'm not cheap. And for a reason, because men will rise to their level of personal investment. Back in the day when I used to do ministry and I used to do, you know, men's groups and stuff like that, like I've given shit tons of hours of counseling and coaching and whatever. And like very few guys took action because there was no value exchange. The moment I start charging money for it, the guys will rise up because they put a value on the advice you give them. In that same way, the value created through intimate relationship has another exchange, whether it's cash or whether it's personal connection, the power of those words will have influence. So on the personal connection would be at one degree, they start paying cash, they pay another degree. And all of these are these elements of our level of challenging ourselves to personal growth requires us to have somebody outside of me Because in my world, in my isolation, everything seems fucking normal. Oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to feel bad about myself. I'm supposed to feel guilty. I'm supposed to feel shame. I'm supposed to not be satisfied. I'm supposed to live in a miserable marriage. I'm supposed to just fall in line and be a good soldier. I'm supposed... You're the only one who told you that. Mm. And you've believed it to be true. The moment you have somebody outside yourself, there was a a cartoon I saw once, and it said, everyone needs someone outside their jar to read their label. You need someone outside you to kind of like speak into your life or to call out you or or see your greatness or remind you just how fucking powerful you really are. And if you don't have that kind of person in your corner, like it's going to be a grind. And I, that's what took me so many years is I didn't have that kind of relationships around me. And in my entrepreneurial journey, it wasn't until I actually paid for coaching that my businesses actually took off. It wasn't until I brought real men around me who had real on, honest conversations. And I like to call it trading daggers, where like if anyone else knew what you just told me, this could hurt you this could destroy your relationships or destroy your business or destroy your marriage but we created such a safe place that we can make those kinds of exchanges so that we have somebody to talk to and somebody to give us some real life feedback and call us out on our shit
0: how do you create that kind of trust that's a, like that's a huge thing like how does somebody let go and tell their secrets or whatever they need to like i like that saying how does that trust get created like
1: that, The first thing I would say is you, you don't want to go in all guns blaring to some dude and tell him all your stuff, right? We're like dogs. We're, we want to sniff each other's butts a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Are, 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 you, are you cool? Are, yeah. you, are you a dude? Are you safe? Are you, you know, so you yeah. have to de- develop rapport. And then I would, for me, I always toss something up. I'm mature enough now where sometimes I'll just land blast people. I'm like, hey, I used to be addicted to porn alcohol. I blew up my marriage. What up? And yeah. just to see how they respond. And if they immediately shut down, then it's like, you're not a safe place. But if they get intrigued and like, uh, wow, that was, tell me more. Like, what, what did you go through? Or well, they're like, me too. Or me too. Right. <laughs> and like, oh shit. Yeah. I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like suddenly we have this kind of like secret handshake. And that's the thing is when you show yourself vulnerable, you give others permission to do the same. And it's not till we get so comfortable in ourselves where I have nothing to gain, nothing to prove and nothing to lose that I truly own my personal power. That's rockstar status in my eyes.
0: Yeah. Vulnerability is the key. It's the key to healing. It's the key. It's the door that opens up so much gives Mm -hmm. permission to others. It allows you to heal. You know, I, I never realized that until doing this podcast, you know, 350 episodes later, how much healing you get from just opening up and hearing a story, telling a story, like you heal every time Mm -hmm. and being able to open up like that is strength. Like you said earlier, you know, we are taught to think shut up, be tough. Like just, you don't, you know, don't show your feelings like that's tough, but actually that's, there's a certain degree, obviously like in sports, you have to have that, but there's like real strength is being able to express yourself and being able to share your truth. Like to me, I've realized that I'm like, wow, like the people that I admire that I follow or I listen to, I I want the real shit, man. I want to know, like, like, who are you like i don't want to see the facade i want to know who you Mm -hmm. are at the core at the heart that's who i trust that's who i and and you know as i've started to evolve myself i've started to realize that's what i gravitate towards and that's that's where i want to show up too because i feel like that's the power and i think that's where real leadership in the world that we're in right now is people need to be they just need to fucking cut the bullshit and just show who they are and have And be open to who they are. Because it's your truth. Like, it's who you are. And you're right. You don't go and open and tell everybody everything. But, you know, when you're in a safe space and, you know, you're in an environment where there's people you trust, like, it's all right to be yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
0: somebody needs that permission. Yeah. Somebody's like, oh, thank God I heard that. Because now I'm free.
1: Yeah. It's freedom. When somebody says, I'm not the only one there's an unlock, like it's a level up. Like, Oh my God, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Like that's what we're all looking for. And most of the people, because I I come from that corporate enterprise space, like you're not allowed to be vulnerable. Like that's how you get demoted or you you miss opportunities um, because the people who rise in you know corporate structure or i would say the same with politics the people who rise are the people who are more shameless and guarded and protected and put on a facade and they will say and do whatever they need to to get to the next level when you are around that environment long enough like you walk around with a suit of armor and it's really hard to take that armor off because you just don't know who's going to stab you. Yeah, you got to break it all down. That's where it's really funny because as I, it's not it's sad funny. As I've gone into this space and become more bold about, you know, what I do and, and speaking really boldly about it, you know, I have the lurkers. You know, I'll, I'll write a post on LinkedIn and it's like, oh, 498 people have seen this and nobody you know, engaged with a like or a comment, but I know that it's like the algorithm has carried the weight that people saw it. So that's why it's going to continue to get past. If it only had like 12 views, I know that it's a shit piece of content. Right. But the fact that it kept getting views is because people spent time reading it and digesting it. And, they're too afraid to like hit engage, you know, engagement of like or comment because if they do, other people in their network will say, oh, you agree with this. Oh, you believe this, right? And like, oh, I don't know if right. I want to do that. So then they send the direct message. Dude, that stuff hit me in the chest. Man, I was scrolling, I read that and it stopped me dead in my tracks. And then they go on and tell me something that, you know, hey, can we jump on a call? Or they'll write, I went through something just like that myself. Hmm. And this is the avenue of communication that I believe the movement I'm trying to create. I want to reach a million men by 2025 and impact them with this permission slip for you to be more. Our level of manhood is on such a low par that women are having to assert themselves in ways that are just exhausting, because they don't have a man that can be a real man. And when I say real man, I know that's absolutely loaded, because you can define that however you want. But in terms of our manhood that we've defined as someone who's in a supportive role, I believe that kids are suffering. Our penal institutions and, and jail cells are flooded with fatherless generations who didn't know what it meant to be a real man. Our schools are now being the babysitters of all of these children who don't have these families that have the abilities, opportunities, and I dare say privilege, to have access with their parents in the ways that they could, that would create a more balanced approach to life. And that has now translated into broken relationships, broken hearts, and broken dreams. And what could happen if we pull guys in to a realm that they could understand themselves become more self-aware, more present, more engaged with the people around them so they can stop numbing themselves with alcohol and drugs and, and sports and freaking ESPN and whatever else. Like what if we can pull them out of the matrix of all the myths that they've led themselves to believe? How different could the world be when leadership in businesses and in corporate and in politics is led by a, a, a culmination of people who are connected and engaged on these kinds of levels? Whether they're male or female, it's this understanding that there is this new balance and this new opportunity. What a different world it could be. That's my dream. It's a beautiful dream.
0: Beautiful dream. Angus, where can people learn more about you and potentially work with you? How does that work?
1: Just come to angusnelson.com. I've got information about all that stuff and and follow me on the socials. Everything pretty much is at Angus Nelson. But if you just go to angusnelson.com, that starts. There's links on there where you can set up a call. We can have you answer some questions and then I'll jump on a call and I'll actually dissect what your challenges and your goals and help you get a different perspective. And it's one of my favorite things to do, that part I don't get paid for, uh, but it's part of the process of how I just continue to give and serve. And I I stopped selling a long time ago and just started serving. And my business has taken off because I think that's a far more effective human quotient when we realize we found our, our someones, find our people who hear us and understand us and get us.
0: One last question. For somebody that is sitting here right now struggling with adversity, what's one piece of advice that you would give them to take away today?
1: So I watched a roundtable on uh, YouTube. It had like Tom Hanks and Chris Rock, a bunch of celebrities. Like I can't think of all the guys. And they're probably like five, six, seven guys. And they're having this open conversation. And Tom Hanks said something, and I think I'm just going to echo it. He said, the one phrase I wish everyone knew was this too shall pass. And all of the celebrities were like nodding. Because like when you have the highs, you had that movie premiere, you know, they had that, you know, multi-million dollar thing and there was like, oh, and then this too shall pass. They had those lows. They went through stuff and addiction and pain. This too shall pass. What you are in, the challenges you are facing are not defining you. They are refining you. And it will pass. The the challenge here for you is to recognize the lessons and understand that life is happening for you and not to you to give you lessons and wisdom and an advantage for your future. I would not have a six-figure coaching industry or a coaching business had I not gone through all those different things with my level of education of just a youth pastor degree, a nonprofit background. There's no way that I would be working with corporate America, working with influencers and celebrities. There's no way. However, everything you're going through has a purpose. And if you will receive it as such and understand that what you're going through is a product of how you're seeing you, then understand that you can change that. You can change how you see you and therefore change your experience.
0: Amen. Thank you, Angus. That was amazing. Thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. I appreciate you. My pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Sure, sure. What is the... What is the manhood matrix?
1: So the manhood matrix, this is like a thing like we just had the fourth matrix, like it or love it, whatever. I I enjoyed it. Yes, it doesn't really coincide with all the other stuff, but it's not a spoiler. That's probably a spoiler, but I liked it. The same methodology of, or I should say metaphor of people existing in one context and then now all of a sudden being plucked out of the understanding you always knew is kind of like the manhood matrix. We have all these myths, all these things we've believed, all these different things. And so I created the manhood matrix masterclass, which I broke down kind of like Maslow's pyramid of self-actualization and put in a context that men face. So number one is our mindset, like how we see the world, how we see ourselves. You stack upon that an attitude a philosophy. Is life happening to me? Is life happening for me? Am I coming from a place of lack or a place of abundance? And then we continue to stack all seven layers of a pyramid. And each one is the foundation of the next. And so I created these seven questions, um, the seven most powerful questions that every powerful man asks themselves. Because once you answer these questions, you can't unsee what you've just written. And it pulls in like, what do you want? What will you give yourself permission to get? And what are you allowing to get in the way? And so I make that available at at manhoodmatrix.co. There's no .com. Well, actually, I I have two. I think you can go to themanhoodmatrix.com. We'll get you there as well. But just manhoodmatrix.co will get you there. And when you get into the manhood matrix and you start to see it for what it is, you start to understand like all these things we've been talking about, how they're all intertwined, and that your level of beliefs, those stories, And the way you see you are everything. Because at the end of that, the D that's in that manhood is dare. What will you dare to do? Because we talked about before those fears that we face and how they're actually an invitation to something greater. And so every time you feel yourself uh, pushing up against resistance, it's almost like a double dog dare. And Joseph Campbell, he said this. He said that in the cave you fear to enter lies the treasure that you seek. And so that's the manhood matrix.
0: Thanks everybody. If you got value from this, please share this with a friend or leave us a review on Apple podcasts. It really helps. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a comment. Either way, subscribe, whether you're listening to this or watching this, subscribe to the platform. we got lots of amazing people coming up and most importantly, share it with people that need it. If you guys want to support the show, That's the way you can do it by leaving a review. Or if you guys want, you can purchase the Warrior Embodiment course, how to embody the true warrior spirit in all aspects of your life. Really exciting course, 47 bucks. You can find that on my Instagram at Lance.esios. Click the link in the bio. It's right there for you. All right. Much love, everybody. We'll catch you next time.